This podcast may contain language and subject matter that some people could find offensive. Please do not listen to this podcast if easily offended. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is Jimmy Starr here and welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. PVC will be flying solo today, reviewing our Heacham show. I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who attended our show at the Heacham Social Club. It was a great event and Jack Landers and Callie Gray, well, they stole the show in an amazing match, which I think can go down as a contender for Falling Star match of the decade. Absolutely amazing stuff. And it was a great show. PVC, I'll hand it over to you. I will see you guys next week for the review of the West Lynn show. I'm sorry I can't be there. There's just not enough hours in the day and there's so much going on in Falling Star Wrestling. There's going to be some exciting news, new venues, lots and lots of stuff coming up. We have a stacked June and July planned. So guys, thank you for supporting us. Continue to support us. And PVC, I will hand it over to you. Thank you very much, Jimmy, and I hope to be able to tag with you once again on the podcast very soon, but you take care of what you need to your end, and I'll handle things here on the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. As Jimmy mentioned there, I'll be chatting all about Heacham Havoc today, running down the card, going through the matches move by move, and giving my frank and honest opinions. If that sounds like something you'd enjoy, then stick around. Falling Star Wrestling will be live and in action very soon and we're invading Weston in Lincolnshire for the first time ever. We stepped foot in Fosdyke just down the road from Weston a month or so back and the feedback was so immense that we had to go back and see what another town in Lincolnshire has to offer. That's Saturday 27th of May at the Weston Village Hall. Tickets are available now, make sure you grab them so you don't miss out. For all the details, check out at Falling Star Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram and go ahead and give us a follow while you're there. But for now, it's time to take you back to Heacham as I sit down to review Heacham Havoc. We kicked off our event in Heacham with the arrival of British wrestling legend, world of sports star and associate of Falling Star Wrestling, Danny Boy Collins, who addressed the audience. He thanked them for the amazing welcome and expressed his honour to be here in Heacham. Danny then talked about his plus 40 years in the wrestling business and how tonight's event was going to be jam-packed with action. He acknowledged that the toll of the professional wrestling has affected on his body, but... He would definitely do it all over again. The audience replied with a chant of, Thank you, Danny. Danny then thanked the fans, saying that they are the most important people in the arena. He recognised that Falling Star Wrestling was trying to do something different and that he is here helping promote this business by using his name. Danny is prepared to do anything he can to help Falling Star Wrestling become a household name in Britain within the wrestling business. He stated that he didn't mind delivering pamphlets or flyers or putting up posters. And he finished by thanking the audience and they responded with a chant of FS Dub, FS Dub. Danny took a bow and left the ring while the audience showered him with chants of Danny, Danny, 
Danny. The crowd also gave him a standing ovation, applauding Danny Boy Collins for his contribution to the event. And then we go into our first match of the evening here at Heacham Havoc. The sound of the wolf howled throughout the village hall in Heacham as the Shoreditch hipster, the Dark Wolf Matt Waters, came down to the ring. His opponent for the evening made an appearance at our most recent Westland show and the crowd... Boy, they're hot for this man. Falling Star Wrestling has invited him back to take on tough Falling Star Wrestling competition. This time, it's the Dark Wolf as his opponent making his way down to the ring. We are talking about Kylo Reese. Both men remove their jackets. The referee conducts his checks, and then the match was underway in this opening contest. The Dark Wolf tried to get the audience to chant Dark Wolf, Dark Wolf, but they just replied with Kylo, Kylo, and then even, Who are ya? Who are ya? The Dark Wolf, he didn't take this lightly. He looked pissed. He looked angry, but he was ready to take on Kylo Reese. Kylo extends his hand for a handshake, but the Dark Wolf just slaps Kylo Reese around the face and then retreats into the corner. The referee has to break up the pair, and Kylo Reese looks incensed at this point. He'd just been slapped right around the ear by the Dark Wolf, Matt Walters. Eventually, the pair lock up in the middle of the ring. Kylo Reese takes a strong headlock and then takes down the Dark Wolf with a headlock takedown. The Dark Wolf is in a vulnerable position. He wraps his legs around the head of Kylo Reese, but Kylo switched it, stood on his head, managing to escape the leg lock. Kylo then jumped into the headlock and took control of the Dark Wolf, who rolled around and managed to grab hold of the bottom rope. Kylo Reese was out wrestling the Dark Wolf as the audience told the Dark Wolf that he wasn't a wolf. In fact, he was a chicken. The Dark Wolf claimed that Kylo Reese has been pulling his hair, but the referee saw nothing. The audience saw nothing. And well, I saw nothing either. The Dark Wolf, Matt Waters, gets back into the ring and before the pair can lock up, the Dark Wolf kicked Kylo Reese right in the gut, slams him across the back and then slaps him across the chest. He then goes for the ground and pound attack on Kylo. He picks him up and puts him in a headlock of his own. Kylo Reese comes back with a few shots to the gut and midsection, he sends the Dark Wolf in, who comes back with a crashing shoulder tackle. He then does his patented point to the sky taunt and says, come on. But Kylo Reese just says, no, sir, and then just slaps the taste out of the Dark Wolf's mouth. Matt Walters is incensed. He charges at Reese, who ducks. He springs over, ghosts the Dark Wolf, and then nails a jumping dropkick, sending the Dark Wolf crashing to the canvas once more. Reese then clotheslines the Dark Wolf over the top rope, and the Dark Wolf, Matt Walters, goes crashing to the ground. The audience, they love this. And then Kylo Reese from the inside out with a massive plancher, nailing the Dark Wolf. Matt Walters with a high crossbody. Kylo Reese then took it to the Dark Wolf by slapping him across the chest and then ascending to the top rope, looking to finish off the Dark Wolf in this opening contest. A jumping high crossbody nails the Dark Wolf, but it's only able to keep him down for the two count. Reese claims it's over and goes from corner to corner. He charges, but the Dark Wolf throws Kylo Reese over the top rope and then hangs Kylo Reese over the top rope by his neck. Kylo's neck snaps back and then the Dark Wolf boots Kylo Reese out of the ring and follows up with a few chops and slaps on the outside the Dark Wolf. He's fully in control now as he rams the head of Kylo Reese into the unforgiving steel of the post on the outside and even has time to pose in front of the audience. Matt Walters enters the ring and kicks Kylo's spine, causing him to writhe in pain. He goes for the pin, but only gets the two count. Kylo Reese is not going to give up that easily. Matt sends Kylo into the corner, but Kylo slides around as crafty as he can get up and down and through and round and hits a schoolboy pin and gets the two count. And then the Dark Wolf comes in with a leaping lariat, taking Kylo Reese down, just chopping his head off there. Kylo had a moment of excitement and energy there, but the Dark Wolf was there just to send him crashing to the mat. The audience, they're trying their best to get behind them 
Man Kylo, but the Dark Wolf is systematically kicking, punching and grinding down on Kylo Reese. Kylo tries to mount a comeback, but the Dark Wolf just smashes Kylo in the face with a forearm, just pushing him against the ropes and then lands a giant sky-high powerbomb. It looks like it's all over, but Kylo kicks out in the nick of time. The Dark Wolf looks to be getting more frustrated with Kylo kicking out as he just kicks Kylo straight in the face and then ascends to the top turnbuckle. Kylo looks prone and the Dark Wolf nails Kylo Reese with a top rope blockbuster. This finished off Jack Landers back in Fosdyke, but it's not enough to put Kylo Reese away who kicks out in the nick of time. The referee almost counted to three, but Kylo, he's still well within this match. The Dark Wolf then grabs a chin lock trying to wear down Kylo Reese. Kylo, he manages to get to his feet, lands a couple of body shots and pushes Matt into the ropes who rebounds and Kylo grabs a sleeper hold. The Dark Wolf crushes Kylo in the corner and then grabs a sleeper hold of his own, still looking to grind and wear down Kylo Reese who does not submit. And then out of nowhere, out of pure desperation, Kylo lands a massive back suplex and both men are down for the count on the canvas. Kylo Reese manages to get the energy to do a quick nip up. The Dark Wolf comes at him, but he takes a right hand, takes a few more right hands, gets sent in, switches the whip and then comes back with a leaping front drop kick that sends the Dark Wolf crashing to the canvas, followed by a stiff clothesline and then a second as well. Kylo rolls through and then lands a massive head kick. Then a side suplex just lands the Dark Wolf on the top of his head. Matt looks to be seeing stars right about now and tries to find respite in the corner. Kylo Reese goes from corner to corner, but is tipped outside again by the Dark Wolf. But Kylo catches him this time. He vaults from the inside and delivers a springboard double stomp on the back of the Dark Wolf, followed by a shining wizard right to the face of the Dark Wolf. Kylo Reese is looking really good right about now with some really nice, hard, stiff strikes to the the Dark Wolf. Matt Walters, a former Falling Star Wrestling Champion. He's not going to go down that easily. Kylo Reese then calls for the finish. He hoists Matt Walters onto his shoulders looking for that fallaway Death Valley driver. Matt puts the elbows down into the face and neck of Kylo Reese. The Dark Wolf dispatches Kylo and sends him out but Kylo hops back into the ring, spins around and the Dark Wolf catches him with his double underhook knee buster, followed by that patented Inzaguri. The Dark Wolf goes for a uh, frankly lackadaisical cover but Kylo Reese just manages to kick out in time. The Dark Wolf looks frustrated. Kylo Reese looks frustrated. This match is looking really even right about now. The Dark Wolf goes up to the top rope again, looking to finish off Kylo Reese, who again pops up to his feet, nails the Dark Wolf with a jumping kick, and then throws the Dark Wolf off of the top rope, Ric Flair style. He then hoists the Dark Wolf up and nails that fallaway Death Valley driver for the pinfall. Kylo Reese picks up the win in this opening contest, and the audience goes wild for the winner. Here is Kylo Reese, who's picked up a gigantic win against the Dark Wolf, Matt Walters, in the opening contest here at Heacham Havoc. And my thoughts on this is that both wrestlers put on such a strong performance in this opening match. With Matt especially impressive, he always manages to get that crowd riled up and into it, which is exactly what you need from a first match from an opening contest. And surprisingly, people were responding really well to Kylo Reese. They enjoyed his performance, especially in that sort of uber babyface role. There was a nice reintroduction for him, especially since we had new fans at Heacham as well. This show, it was jam-packed and it was warm. They did a lot in this opening contest. They kept it fresh. They, they both worked really, really hard together. Kylo Reese looking really athletic. He's also showing he's got a really good striking game. He may have done a few too many nip-ups in this match, though. Learning from somebody like Shawn Michaels, one nip-up in a match is 
probably enough, especially on a double down like they did when Kylo popped up and did that sort of Sambo side suplex. That was great. They were both on the canvas there for a minute and then you just wait around. You get the sort of five, six, seven count. You do the nip up. Boom, you go into the bump and feed there. Hit that double drop kick, the double clothesline. And then you have your several attacks after that. But nonetheless, this was just a really cool match. The audience in attendance really liked it, which is great. They would have liked a little bit more to cheer for, though. Matt is always good at reminding the audience that they need to sort of boo the heel. It would have been nice to see a little bit more from Kylo. He did fire up and engage with the crowd, but I'm not sure there was that much engagement. With a crowd like this, it's it's essential to, to look at them, to gesture to them, to interact with them, to get them involved in this match. And I think that was the theme for the whole evening, actually. The crowd was engaged and they were loving what they were seeing, but they were also happy to sort of sit back and not cheer, not chant or scream or shout when they didn't need to. And it was sort of up to us, the wrestlers, to remind them and say, Yes, you, you're a wrestling show. You are here to interact. So if you want to scream and shout, let's do it. Let's go for it. You can And you can do that in a multitude of ways. You can do that by looking at the crowd, motioning towards the crowd, stamping your feet, clapping your hands, anything like that. And I know a lot of indie wrestlers don't like to do that now. It's not cool and it's sort of frowned upon in the larger federations. But this is not the federation. This is Falling Star Wrestling. And we're here not to put on a show for the cameras or the people watching at home. We're here to put on a show for each and every person in that building at that particular time. They paid their money, so it doesn't really matter if you start clapping your hands to get them involved because you're doing them a service. You're helping them out, especially as Danny Boy Collins said when he came out and he said, it's not about the wrestlers. It's not about the moves. It's not about the match. It's not about the music. It's not about the MC, the ring. It's about the fans, and you've got to put the fans first and make sure they have a really good time. It did seem like they did have a really good time with this match. I think they were happy with the result. It looked like the Dark Wolf was going to pick up the win early on, but Kylo Reese managed to weather the storm and come out victorious to open up this first contest with the babyface going over, which I think was the right decision. So good stuff all round. And then we went on to the second match here at Heacham, and it's another singles match. This is a rematch from Watlington. We have the devious and dastardly bad boy of Falling Star Wrestling, the unbeatable and unstoppable next level, Jaden Scar, facing his opponent, Lightning Ollie Cole, who's trying to get a win back from Scar after being defeated by him at Watlington. Ollie Cole is trying to do his best to progress through the Falling Star Wrestling Academy, taking every opportunity to wrestle pros, even if he does come up short. The important thing is he's getting experience and going up against some of the top contenders in Falling Star Wrestling, of which Jaden Scar is definitely one of them. He's definitely a former two-time Falling Star Wrestling champion and is currently on a tear, taking on all comers and just choking them out with his signature move, the cross-face chicken wing. The audience knows that Jaden is dangerous, but they still sing and chant and call him a Muppet, which he just absorbs and puts into his performance, taking it to his opponents time and time again. At Watlington, Jaden Scar nailed Ollie Cole right in the face with a super kick at the very start of the match. But this time, 
Ollie Cole. Luckily, he saw it coming from a mile away. He hopped into the ring and ducked, landed a spinning heel kick, a trouble in paradise, which rocked Jaden Scar. Ollie then followed up with a low drop kick, a giant jumping frog splash from the top rope. Goes for the pin on Jaden Scar, who kicked out barely at two. But Ollie, he's starting off really hard, knowing exactly what Jaden Scar is all about and in learning from his previous mistakes, which is smart from the youngster. Ollie had to keep on top of Jaden Scar, went from corner to corner, but Jaden slipped out like a slippery little otter. He rolled out of the ring, stopping Ollie's momentum, but Ollie looked like he was going to try something crazy. He went from inside out, tried for a baseball slide, but Jaden blocked the shot. Ollie countered with a forearm of his own, taking Jaden Scar off of his game. Scar wasn't done yet, though, and Ollie took Jaden Scar, ran him up against the wall, and the audience loved what they were seeing. They were watching this young upstart, this young academy member, take it to Jaden Scar. The referee was in the middle of the ring, trying to get the guys back into the ring. The bell had rung, so he could have had a count out right about now, but he was just letting these guys go at it. Ollie hopped up to the apron and go to Jaden Scar. Cole went for a double axe handle, but was caught by Scar. Ollie's back goes into the side of the ring, and then Jaden Scar repeatedly nails him, running his head into the wall because turnabout is fair play, according to Jaden Scar. He then rolled himself back into the ring, broke the count, and this match continues. And then he continues to take it to Ollie Cole on the outside, humbling the youngster with a chop across the chest. He rams Ollie's head into the bar, taking him around ringside, showing him what Jaden Scar can do. He sits him on one of the seats and then just pummels Ollie with repeated right hand shots to the neck, face, and head. Jaden Scar exclaims, I am the next level. This causes the audience to erupt in a sing song chant of Jaden is a Muppet or something along those lines. I don't know what they're singing, but it's brilliant. Finally, Jaden Scar rolls Ollie into the ring, who looks to sort of almost be dead at this point. Jaden Scar then systematically takes apart Ollie Cole as he stamps on his fingers and then performs a body splash on Ollie's left arm. Jaden Scar is not going to relent. He then abuses Ollie Cole, so he stamps on his ankle. He then throws Ollie from the inside out and then Ollie goes tumbling on the outside. Jaden Scar then spreads his arms and says, is this all you've got? Jaden then bounces onto the corner, hops to the outside, goes for the penalty kick, but misses. Ollie manages to evade, but then Ollie is caught with a low super kick right to the head. Jaden Scar then rolls Ollie into the ring and then tries to throw him out again, but this time Ollie manages to hold onto the top rope. Jaden Scar doesn't see. He's too busy jaw-jacking with the audience. Scar then rushes in, but Ollie manages to land a shoulder tackle through the ropes. A leaping sunset flip gets a two count on Jaden Scar, who looks a bit mixed up at this point, goes for a clothesline. Ollie ducks, comes off the ropes, and then Jaden just nails Ollie Cole with a leaping leg lariat. But it looks like it may have taken a little bit too much out of Jaden Scar. Of course, Jaden Scar has a history of knee problems and he looks to be limping just a bit there. But Ollie Cole was taken down. His head was chopped off with that leaping leg lariat and looks to be struggling to catch his breath. Scar then pushes Cole into the corner props him up on the top rope and starts to ascend to the second rope himself. The audience tries to get behind Ollie Cole. Jaden Scar looks like he's trying for a top rope superplex, but Ollie Cole looks to be hanging on for dear life. He lands a shot to the face of Scar, who goes limping in the middle of the ring as Ollie ascends to the top rope, jumps over Jaden Scar, charging into the corner and lands a clothesline on Scar, followed by a second clothesline. Ollie Cole, he looks to be getting his second win right about now. He lands a leg sweep. 
And then Ole starts to tune up the band. He looks to be getting excited. Lands a short super kick right to the head of Jaden Scar, who looks vulnerable. But Ole Cole needs to push and slide Jaden Scar onto his back to get the pinfall. But Jaden Scar kicks out just before three. Ole then feeds off of the audience, jumps to his feet, and starts to get riled up and energized. He charges from corner to corner, but Jaden Scar puts him down with a sling blade. Followed by an STO, Jaden Scar rolls through, hooks in a suplex, lands a snap suplex, rolls through again, and then he lands a falcon arrow a trifecta of maneuvers. Still, he can't put Ollie Cole down for the pinfall as Ollie kicks out before the count of three. The audience, they seem relieved, but Jaden Scar seems angered and upset. He can't believe that those three moves in a row couldn't put the youngster away, so Jaden Scar removes his vest. He looks out to the audience and then he starts to stalk Ollie Cole. He tries to hook in the pedigree, grabbing one arm, then the other. Can he nail it? No, Ollie Cole rolls. He spins out and sends Scar into the corner. Ollie Cole charges in with a running, jumping forearm and nails a second one. He tries to muster the energy and determination to nail a third one and comes charging in for the... For the halluva kick, he kicks and nails Jaden Scar right in the face. Ollie Cole then comes in with a waist lock on Jaden Scar. The referee tries to create some separation, but I don't think the referee saw what was going on as Jaden Scar lands a low blow on Ollie Cole. Ollie is writhing on the canvas in pain, holding his nether regions, while Jaden Scar just smiles. Jaden then screams, boom, and then locks in the cross-faced chicken wing, grapevining the legs around Ollie Cole. And poor old Ollie Cole has to tap out in a matter of seconds. The referee rings the bell. The MC announces the winner. But Jaden Scar, he will not relent. He will not let go as he holds onto the chicken wing and he inflicts pain and punishment on Ollie Cole who put up a really good performance here against Jaden Scar, but the wily veteran doesn't mind taking the low road and picks up a win in this second contest here at Heacham Havoc. As Jaden Scar is leaving, he seems to get into it with an audience member who doesn't like what Jaden Scar is about, but Jaden Scar, he just feeds off of the hatred of the Falling Star Wrestling audience. He stands on the apron and poses right in front of the audience member, exclaiming again, boom, and then walks out with authority. The audience then get behind the falling comrade of Ollie Cole. Now, much like their match, uh, Watlington, I really enjoyed the start of this match. It was a great little throwback to their opening in Watlington where Ollie Cole came down, got the audience behind him, fed off the energy of the audience, but the crafty Jaden Scar just kicks him in the face. This time, though, Ollie saw it coming. He spun around and then he went on the offense straight away. Starting the match off hot and differently from the previous match was a great idea. And this was a singles match and they had to make it unique to their characters and their story. And although they they did a lot of stuff on the outside of the ring early on, which may not always be the best thing to do in a second match, but the audience really seemed to like it. And I think it fits in with Jaden Scar's character. And of course, he got to pose in front of people as he took Ollie Cole to the outside and run him into the bar on the wall and stuff like that. It was it was a nice match, although it wasn't perfect. There were things that could be improved, such as a few strikes went astray and a few things didn't quite come across as intended. But I think all in all, considering Ollie, he's still in the academy and he's going up against somebody like Jaden Scar, who's got a, a very specific style and character. I think they managed to incorporate both of their characters into this match. Ollie is lightning quick, he loves to do kicks, and I think he managed to showcase those pretty well. Some looked really good, others didn't look quite as good as you probably wanted them to, but those are the things that Ollie can work on as he progresses through the Falling Star Wrestling Academy. I think the result was also right on the night, and at this point in time, I don't think we can have Jaden Scar lose any matches, especially against an Academy member, because 
he's on a tear and we've got a story kind of simmering in the background. I'm not sure how it's going to end. We've got a main event match later this evening featuring Jack Landers and Callie Gray. Jaden still has Jack lingering in the back of his mind. And I'm sure Jack Landers is still thinking about Jaden Scar. He just has to put that aside and focus on the main event this evening. But getting back to the match between Ollie and Jaden, I like that Ollie is starting to introduce new moves into his arsenal. That's cool. He's building a repertoire of tricks and kicks. And I think it's great to to go up against varying opponents as well, whether they're bigger or smaller. Obviously, Ollie Cole's not a, a large man in, in Falling Star Wrestling, so he's not going to be picking up people, slamming them, suplexing them, putting them on his shoulders. He's going to be doing quick things, evading, doing sort of shoulder tackles to the gut on the outside, rolling over, sunset flips, low drop kicks, spinning kicks, super kicks, axe kicks, halluva kicks. All of those types of kicks, I think, fits in with his character. He just needs to really start honing them in, nailing them, make sure they connect, make sure they look good and start to sell them and make them look like significant maneuvers in the match. But that will come in time. And with maybe two more years experience, Cole, I'm sure is going to be one of the top guys in Falling Star Wrestling and especially in the academy. And and who knows, only time will tell. Maybe if Jaden Scar and Ollie Cole do have a rematch in two years, if the tables turn and maybe Ollie Cole could pick up a win then, but that remains to be seen. And that was match number two. Now we're going to go on to the third match. The match was the finals of the Sound Honorary Invitational Tag Team Tournament. The winners of this match will become the number one contenders for the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Championships, currently held by Bobby Adams and George Rashwood of The Sound. The first team to enter the ring is Wakefield's wrestling empire consisting of All-Pro Sean Stone and the destroyer Robbie Lewis. The empire has won two massive victories in this tournament, defeating the UK Pitbulls and half of the NLP as they defeated Crowley at West Lynn. Wakefield's wrestling empire will face the team of Jimmy Starr and me. PVC, known as the Disaster Artist. We made our way to the finals by defeating Furio and Nix in the opening round and then picking up a win against the BCB a couple weeks back at Westlin, earning us a chance to compete in the final and hopefully punch our tickets to a shot at the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team titles against The Sound. Notably absent is the man who puts the Wakefield in Wakefield's wrestling empire, Samuel Bloody Wakefield, and the crowd immediately notices his absence He's not here to guide or mentor the team of all pro Sean Stone and Robbie Lewis. And after the referee conducts his checks, he rings the bell. Robbie Lewis and Jimmy Starr, the two big men and each team start this contest. They circle in the ring until they lock up in the middle. And it seems to be a stalemate with neither man gaining an advantage in the early stages of this match. Jimmy and Robbie lock up again with Robbie looking to use his strength and size to push Jimmy towards the corner and looks confident in doing so. However, Jimmy goes for a kick to the gut and then lands an elbow across the neck of Robbie Lewis before ringing up his arm. Jimmy then does a short shoulder block tackle into the shoulder of Robbie Lewis before ringing up his arm again and then taking the point of his elbow and running it directly into Lewis's arm shoulder and elbow the audience wants it again and chants one more time so Jimmy obliges and lands a giant headbutt to the destroyer Robbie Lewis who then goes into the corner and Jimmy Starr double slaps his chest humiliating him before running his head into the opposite turnbuckle Jimmy Starr then tags me in but Robbie Lewis quickly runs to the corner and tags in his partner Sean 
on Stone. Stone comes in and raises his left arm as this to challenge me to a test of strength. However, as my left arm was injured, I just kick him in the gut instead and then pull him into a side headlock, attempting to wrench his neck. He counters by sending me into the ropes and then I tackled Stone to the ground as he attempted to leap over me. I just left my knee in his path, causing him to fall onto it. I then ran his head into the turnbuckle from corner to corner before wrapping his arm around the ropes and delivering a loud chop to his chest, dickhead. Then he reversed an Irish whip. I held onto the ropes and low bridged him, causing him to fall out of the ring. As I prepared to tag in Jimmy Starr and execute a dive, Robbie Lewis pulls me out of the ring and just slams my head into the ring post on the outside. Meanwhile, Sean Stone attacks Jimmy Starr in the middle of the ring and proceeds to wear him down with a chin lock and knee strikes to the back. When Jimmy Starr fights back with shots to the gut, Sean Stone resorts to raking his eyes. He then tags in Robbie Lewis, who attempts a running jumping splash similar to the one that injured JJ King a few months back. However, Jimmy Starr manages to avoid it and move out of the way. Tries to make a tag to PVC just as I was about to reach him. Sean Stone knocks me off the apron, preventing the tag. Thus, Jimmy Starr continues to endure the punishment dealt out by Sean Stone and Robbie Lewis, with the latter raining down a clubbing forearm across the back, neck and shoulder of Jimmy Starr. Jimmy looks to be in dire straits right about now as the Empire completely decimate Jimmy Starr. The Empire then try a double team maneuver on Jimmy. Jimmy hits the ropes, comes back and takes down both members of the Empire. Jimmy then fires up with a right hand landing a blow to Stone then to Lewis and then out of pure desperation Jimmy hits the Star KO. He starts to crawl and claw his way over to me but the man on the outside is Sean Stone who picks my leg and takes me out on the outside. And Jimmy Starr is left stranded alone in the ring with nobody to tag out to. The Empire then take Jimmy Starr into the corner. Robbie Lewis starts to take over, raining clotheslines down on Jimmy Starr. Robbie then pulls the referee and Sean Stone begins to choke Jimmy Starr. Lewis tags in Stone. And as Robbie Lewis is choking Jimmy Starr in the corner, Stone comes in for the splash. Jimmy Starr moves out of the way and Stone goes clattering into Lewis and Lewis takes a bump on the outside. Sean Stone is then thrown out of the ring and Jimmy Starr looks like he's got the entire ring to make the hot tag just as Robbie Lewis comes in and starts to pick the ankle of Jimmy Starr. Can Jimmy Starr make the hot tag? It's been a long time coming just as Robbie Lewis grabs the arm of Jimmy Starr. Jimmy kicks him in the gut, nails a DDT and then takes those last few steps to get the tag in. The tag is made. I come in and offer a clothesline for Stone, a clothesline for Lewis, a back elbow for Stone, a back elbow for Lewis. Each member of the Empire are now in separate corners. I deliver forearms to both men, followed up with a bulldog into a clothesline, then a pin on Robbie Lewis. One, Two, Robbie Lewis in the nick of time just manages to kick out. The audience thought it was three. I thought it was three, but the referee says no, it was two. Both members of the Empire down in the middle of the ring. I start to get the crowd behind me trying to finish off the Destroyer, trying to get some payback on Robbie Lewis for that injured shoulder that happened two months ago. As Robbie Lewis turns around, I nail the Codebreaker, go for the pin. One, two, Sean Stone in the nick of time breaks up the pinfall and then nails a stroke on me. I crawl to the corner. Corner, try to get back to my feet. Sean Stone comes into the corner, misses the splash. I get a tag to Jimmy. I hit the code breaker. Jimmy Starr hits the cutter, the Star KO, and then gets the three count for the disaster artist to win the match and go on to face the sound for the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Championships at a later date. The tournament is all over and the disaster artists have achieved the goal that they set out to do through adversity, through many matches, through injury and through people not wanting them to get there. They've managed to make it to the finals and win the whole damn thing. Now, 
Let's talk about the match. I was still wrestling with some injuries, let's say. So my so my participation was limited. So first of all, thanks to Sean, Robbie and Jimmy for protecting me out there. I appreciate it. And although I thought the match was okay at the time with the adrenaline pumping, the audience cheering, watching it back on the tape, I didn't actually find it as exciting, enthralling or captivating as, as I'd hoped. Now, the story of the match was initially that we had the upper hand on the Empire, but they managed to turn it around by grabbing my leg and taking over, working over Jimmy Starr in the ring. We had a few opportunities to make a comeback with the hot tag, giving Jimmy Starr some rest and allow me to come in and dominate. The whole idea of the match was it was to build up excitement and drama around that hot tag. However, I don't I don't know whether we managed to effectively get the audience there. I think personally there are too many positional, maybe a few too many timing issues. For instance, on the second attempt to get the hot tag, Sean Stone was dumped to the outside. Jimmy Starr hits the cutter. And when planning the match, I'd imagine that Robbie Lewis and Jimmy Starr would be down with Sean Stone on the outside of the ring. The only way Jimmy Starr could get the tag was by crawling millimeters closer. And then just as Sean Stone pulls me away, Jimmy Starr couldn't make the tags. But Unfortunately, Sean Stone arrived a little early, so so the moment kind of lacked that anticipated excitement. And from this camera angle, it was clear that Sean Stone was grabbing my leg, and I wasn't really selling it at the time because I I, I was trying to judge how far Jimmy Starr was away from me, and in trying to create that atmosphere where Jimmy Starr is just millimeters away, and then it's taken away at the last moment. It was re- it was really difficult to get the timing and everything perfectly. And those few moments and those few moves weren't quite right. And I have to admit, at the end, I didn't time my move as well. The code breaker, it was supposed to be a nice little finish. I was supposed to duck out of the way, Sean Stone, tag in Jimmy, go for the clothesline, up onto Stone's shoulders, and then spin around, hit the code breaker. Uh, I'll admit it, I'll throw my hands up. I leaped a bit too early for the code breaker, but thankfully Sean Stone just went with it. Jimmy Starr then came in for the star KO, nailed it for the win. Thankfully, otherwise that would have been a, a bit of a flat finish. But nonetheless, all of my criticism, the audience actually popped massively for the finish. So I'm glad that they did. I just, I just wish that they'd have the same reaction for that hot tag because... That was the essence of the match, and we were really looking for that moment where Jimmy Starr was just a fingertip away and had it taken away at the last second. That's that's what we wanted to achieve. And on the topic of the hot tag, Robbie, I think you need to be aware of your like positioning in those moments. After being hit with the DDT by Jimmy, you got to know what's coming next. We, we talked about it. We planned it. You, you've got to be out of the way so I can come in there like a house on fire, and you've got to be up for the bump and feed. It can't be like I come in there, hit stone, and then I'm just waiting for you to get up. You, you've got to be up, buddy. This is this is a bump and feed. This is an exciting moment. If you're not up for me and I'm just standing there, just wasting time in between the next clothesline, it's not making me look good, unfortunately. And I think that was the case. Like I ran in, nailed stone with the clothesline. I turned around and you were still sort of halfway getting up. In my opinion, you should have been there and it should have been, I should have been nailing you with that clothesline straight away. And again, boom, bump, feed, bump, feed, bump, feed. It needs to be rapid. It needs to be exciting. And I don't know whether it's due to like tiredness, whether you forgot, whether you wasn't sure what was going on, whether you were gassed, whether you'd hit your head. I, I don't know what was going on. But after you got hit with that DDT, you, you were a little bit in the way as well. It's just, if you're not ready for me, then it kind of ruins that moment. And 
That was sort of my only moment in that match, really. I had a little bit at the beginning, but it wasn't really anything. So that hot tag, that was the moment we were building up to. That was the moment that mattered most, almost more than anything in this match, more than the entrances, more than the finish, more than us winning. It mattered because that was the plan of the match. That was the whole idea for the match. It's like, we want to create this anticipation, but... I think, and personally, like, people might not think this way, and maybe I'm just being too harsh, but I think because of those kind of timing issues, it made the hot tag feel a little bit flat, and yeah, I could be too critical because I was in the match, I helped put it together, I watched it back on tape, it just felt a bit flat, but... It didn't feel flat in the moment because you've got the crowd surrounding you. They were willing me to get that hot tag. I just don't think it came through on the tape. And again, it's one of those things when you have a lot of heat in the match, you still have to try and make the heat interesting. And I still think that it wasn't that interesting. Of course, Jimmy was trying his hardest to sell for, for the Empire guys, but... I don't think they did anything major to Jimmy. It was just sort of a few clubs across the back, a few clotheslines in the corner, a few chokes and things like that. I didn't really see or feel any slams or big impact moves that felt really impactful. So it never really felt for me sort of watching it. I was trying to be a casual observer. There wasn't anything in there that made me think, oh, Jimmy's messed up. He's dead. He really needs to get that tag. It was just a, it was just a few little digs and... and what I'm trying to say is like a big scoop slam or a big splash, a crush in the corner, followed by a sidewalk slam, something like that. Maybe that could have injected a bit more excitement, added a few more elements in there. And I mean, hindsight is a bloody wonderful thing, isn't it? And if we could go back and do things differently, I'm sure that we would. And I have to take accountability for that as well. I could have easily have saved that sort of moody tag there because... Sean Stone, he is the lesser of experiences one, so I could have taken that on as the experienced person. When he comes on the outside, Jimmy's about to, to make that hot tag. He's just hit the star KO, he's crawling over, and then at the last minute, he's meant to pick my leg. And I knew it wasn't the right time. And I think, thinking back of it, instead of basically no-selling it, I could have just popped around, kicked him in the head, and basically just said, wait. But I didn't. In the moment... I was waiting for Jimmy to, to crawl. I was waiting for Jimmy to get closer. I was trying to create that anticipation. And then Sean Stone comes up to me and clubs me in from the back again. Again, I probably could have easily have just dropped down to the floor, give him a big forearm, uppercut or something like that, slammed his head on the apron, and then just got back up there, put my arm out and begged for that tag again. But I didn't. I just kind of waited for, for the cues. And I suppose that's the thing when you've got so many planned elements in a match that you just go along with them and you don't really think about what's happening in the moment. So it's partially my fault. It's partially Sean Stone's fault, but probably 90% of the crowd didn't even notice. It just so happened it was in front of a few people. But again, it could have been fixed, but it wasn't horrendous. And Jimmy knows that he's not going to get the tag there. So he's going to come over and get as humanly possible as he can to get me the tag. We can almost touch and then... You've got all the time in the world to create that anticipation. The longer you do it, the longer it's out there, the longer you're crawling over. And then whew, the tablecloth is pulled from underneath you. I think that's what creates that excitement. That creates that moment where it's just high energy. That's when you start building that anticipation for the third time as well. And again, it's it's these small little things. I'm, I'm trying to be harsh but fair. So Robbie on the code breaker, like, it's a challenging move, but 
I think if you're the person taking the move, I think you can make a little more of it. Like I jump up, put my knees into you. I, I just fall back. You're taking the whole bump. You can do anything you like with it. And I think you can make it look a bit more impactful. Like you can spring backwards and almost do like when The Rock took a Stone Cold Stunner, like you pop up and you flail backwards. And I think doing that could make the move a bit more exciting and impactful because otherwise it kind of just looked a little bit like I jump up and I fall backwards and then you just sort of fall and crumble to the ground. And I didn't think it created that moment of like, wow, that's a cool move. It's just like, oh, that guy just sort of jumped and, and the other person fell over and... and yeah. It's not just you, Robert. It's not just you, Sean. It's, I think it's for everybody. And I think that's kind of a lesson to learn as well. Because finishing manoeuvres, they're such an important part of the match that if you don't really know how to take somebody's finisher or you don't know how to react to somebody's finisher for that final move, it's always good to check with somebody beforehand because if that's the finish of the match and that's how you want the match to end, you've got to really nail the move and it's the person doing the move and it's the person taking the move because I tried the same move on Sean Stone. He didn't know what was coming. That was completely my fault. So those things can kind of be glossed over and I'll throw my hands up and admit that one. But luckily we'd kind of factored in there that Jimmy was going to come in and hit the star KO for the finish because I think if that was the finish with my code breaker, quote unquote code breaker on Sean, uh, Sean Stone there, I think maybe we would have had to call an audible and then just gone, we'll go for a different finish there and completely switch things up. That's fine. It was just a part of the match that we were trying to, to build up to again. It's the theme of this match. It's, it's all about building and anticipation. And that was meant to be a major false finish and climax of the match meant to hit Robbie with that code breaker and then stone right at the last seconds meant to come in. And I think it was just, it was just missed a little bit. That falsy felt a little bit wasted, but these are the things we learned from. And I learned a bunch from this match and it's, it's all about timing. I don't think it's anything to do with the moves in particular, we could have done some moves better. We could have done some of the action better. We could have added more action. We could have taken stuff away. We could have made it simpler. We could have made it more complex, but I think it was all about the timing and we could have had the most complicated match in the world. And if we'd have got the timing right, it would have been amazing. But on the flip side, even if you had the most amazing match in the world, but the timing wasn't there, it's still not going to be so great, is it? So that that's the thing that I'm going to take away from this match. Being aware of those small little things and trying to, to guide your opponent, trying to talk to your opponent and getting that timing right. Maybe that's the timing that you have to communicate when you're in the ring or whether that's the timing you have to set out before you go into the match. If you have a story planned out beforehand and you need to execute things in the ring, everyone needs to understand those sort of small nuances. So those are the things I'll take away, but I'll leave it with this. I'm really, really, really happy that I did not re-injure my shoulder and we got through the match successfully. So thank you. And it's all good stuff. After the interval, we witnessed the fourth match at Heacham Havoc featuring the falling star wrestling limitless championship. The devious and dastardly Kung Fu vampire makes his way down to the ring with his championship belt in hand, posing and looking ready to take on his opponent for the night. The playmaker, Tommy Lawrence. Furio sits in the corner waiting for Tommy to enter the ring. As soon as Tommy arrived, they went face to face. The referee, Danny Fear, showed both competitors the championship belt that was up for grabs 
and conducted his checks before ringing the bell to start the match. The two wrestlers circled each other before locking up in the middle of the ring with Tommy taking Furio's arm into a hammerlock. Furio rolled through and reversed the hold, getting Tommy into a top wrist lock. Tommy then transitioned into a hammerlock and then into a side headlock, but Furio took him to the corner, prompting the referee to ask Tommy to break the hold. Tommy, he got mildly distracted in the early stages. He was jaw jacking with the crowd while the audience cheered for Furio. Furio slips underneath into a waist lock, but Tommy quickly switched the move. Furio broke the hold and transitioned into a wrist lock, ringing Tommy's arm and shoulder, causing him to yelp in pain. Tommy reared up with the right hand, but stopped trying to intimidate Furio, who just looked him square in the eyes. Tommy made a big mistake and then just slapped the Kung Fu vampire right in the face. Furio responded by launching a kick followed by a side headlock, whip into the ropes. Tommy comes back with a shoulder tackle and poses in the middle. While Furio's down on the canvas, Tommy charges towards him, but Furio leaps up and lands a beautiful arm drag. The pair went back and forth with headlocks until Furio tried to land a kick to Tommy's head, but Tommy saw it coming and escaped into the corner. Tommy then kicked Furio in the gut and laid in some right arms to Furio's back, crashing across it. Furio then grabbed a knuckle lock and kicked Tommy a few times. He hops up to the top rope, spun out and landed a beautiful lucha arm drag from corner to corner, followed by a spinning heel kick. Tommy then charges towards Furio, but he hip tosses him, rolls through and lands a clothesline. In the corner, Tommy takes a spinning kick by Furio using his educated feet. Furio sends Tommy into the corner. Tommy hops over and lands a beautiful cartwheel, but Furio follows up with a drop kick to the knee, sending Lawrence crashing to the ground. Furio goes for the head kick again, but Tommy sees it coming once more. Furio then picks up Tommy Lawrence onto his shoulders, and the referee tries to separate the two, but in the mayhem, the referee takes a bit of a knock, and his eyes are distracted. Tommy Lawrence takes full advantage and goes after Furio's eyes, then slips down the back of Furio. Tommy stalks the Kung Fu vampire, slips underneath, tripping up Furio, who heads to the outside onto the apron. Tommy hops from the middle, inside out, and lands a jump spinning, twisting, cutter on Furio, but Furio kicks out at two. Furio's in a vulnerable position. Furio charges in, but Lawrence moves out of the way, and Furio's knee goes into the top turnbuckle, and nobody is there to accept it. Tommy then sees Furio get to his feet using the top rope and comes with a low drop kick of his own, working over the leg of Furio. He then drops an elbow on the leg and rains down left hands on Furio's right knee, trying to soften him up for a submission later on, possibly. Tommy Lawrence then locks in a figure four type submission. Furo tries to come back with a chop, but Tommy Lawrence responds with a chop of his own and stands on his feet as he arches backwards into a headstand position, putting more torque and doing more damage to the Kung Fu vampire's legs. Eventually, Furio fights through the pain and manages to reverse the hold. He rolls over onto his stomach, reversing the pressure and putting the pain on Tommy Lawrence. Tommy quickly scurries over to the bottom rope to break the hold and the referee breaks both men up. Tommy Lawrence was put in a bad spot momentarily, but Furio looks even worse at the moment as he rolls onto the canvas, holding his right knee. However, Tommy Lawrence lands another elbow drop near Furio. Furio tries to come back with shots to the stomach, but Tommy looks too overbearing at this point. That's all until Furio has had enough. He stands up and punches Tommy right in the face, grabs him around the neck and takes him into the corner. Lawrence switches the Irish whip and Furio goes into the buckle. Tommy walks into the foot and Furio then lands a 
lovely spinning reverse enziguri that sends Tommy Lawrence crashing to the mat. Tommy retreats to the corner and Furio retreats to the other corner. Furio comes rushing in, but Lawrence dispatches Furio onto the apron. Furio lands on his feet and Lawrence comes rushing in with a shoulder tackle. Furio then mounts the second rope, hops from the outside in with a tornado DDT, nailing Tommy Lawrence in the middle of the ring. Furio couldn't capitalize on the momentum he had. So Tommy lands a desperation backbreaker followed by a split leg moonsault. But Furio kicks out before the three count. Lawrence then goes directly into an attack, landing a falcon arrow on Furio. Furio's taking a lot of punishment in this match, but he will not give up. He will not relinquish that FSW Limitless Championship as he kicks out before the referee counts to three. Tommy then thinks about hitting that falcon arrow once again, but Furio blocks the attempt. So then Lawrence rains down right arms across the injured back of Furio. He lifts Furio up. Furio floats over momentarily. Tommy loses his footing and Furio goes for a waist lock. Tommy switches it, runs Furio into the ropes, rolls Furio backwards into a pinning position and gets the two count. Furio goes for an enziguri again, but Tommy catches the boot and nails a dragon leg screw. Lawrence is looking to finish things off, but Furio spins out the attempted suplex and nails an impaler DDT of his own. It looks like Furio is back in control of this match and Tommy looks rocked from that impaler. Furio reels back with his right leg and kicks Tommy Lawrence right between the ears, picking up the win in this Falling Star Wrestling Limitless Championship match to open up the second half and still your FSW Limitless Champion, Furio. Now, I had the pleasure of watching this match live. I was up on the balcony with a couple of the other boys watching this match, so I really got a feel for what the crowd was like during this match. And the boys, they started pretty hot. They opened up with a lot of character work. Tommy engaged with the crowd really well, made sure that they had something to cheer or boo for. I think maybe something happened in the middle of this match that caused both wrestlers to kind of take their foot off the pedal for a second. I did speak to Furio after the match and it looked like at one point when Tommy suplexed Furio, he landed kind of awkwardly and maybe tweaked his back. And I think once that part happened, you could just see a few moments where Furio wasn't maybe giving it 100% and rightfully so was trying to look after himself because he was concerned about his back. Tommy was working over the back and then sort of quickly switched to working over the knee, which was maybe an audible cord in there, which was a smart thing to do. We've been talking about this on this podcast for probably a year or two. Ever since Furo's had that Falling Star Wrestling Limitless Championship, he's been almost unbeatable and, and very kind of strong, let's say. But in this match... I thought he looked quite vulnerable and I don't know whether that's because it's the way they planned the match or because they were simply calling an audible and making sure Furio wouldn't further injure his back. I don't know, but that's kind of what I'm guessing. And after speaking to the guys very briefly, that's the way it seemed. So not everything was quite as crisp, but there were a few moments where they're having a little bit of a strike off. You could tell there was some communication going on there because one person would strike and then it would be a second before the next person struck another blow. And I think when you're trying to communicate in the ring and also trying to put in a lot of effort to convey those punches, sometimes they do go a little wayward and I'm a bugger for that one as well. So there are a few kicks that are a little wayward. There are a few punches that went a little wayward. And there was a time there where it looked like Furo was kind of presenting his leg for Tommy to catch it and go for that enziguri. That looked a little bit blatant, but you could tell that Furio was working injured and he had to get through this match, which is, which is not an easy thing to do when you've possibly pulled a disc, slipped a disc or pulled your back muscles. I don't know what he's done. I think he's okay. 
I don't think it's severely damaged, whether it's just a pulled muscle and it's going to be right with rain in a couple of weeks, or whether it's going to be one of those injuries that kind of niggle on you for some time. I don't know. I've not spoken to Furio, but you could really tell after that suplex, it, it wasn't his best performance. Tommy was was able to generate some good heat with the crowd, and it seemed like it was just sort of Tommy working over Furio for the majority of the match. And although there were quite a few spots planned, I think that ended up working against Furio. He's supposed to be portrayed as this unkillable monster, a dominant champion, but he came across as just sort of another regular baby face with face paint and a, and a belt. Tommy had about 75% of the action, and I think it could have been a bit more balanced. Undoubtedly, Tommy, he's a fierce competitor. I love Tommy Lawrence. I think he's great. But I think the focus should and could have been on Furio, but it he, he just didn't look dominant during this match. And I think, you know, things happen in the middle of the ring. Accidents occur. It's important to get through the match, then rest, recover and learn from the experience. Nevertheless, they managed to get through the match and it was what it was. Hopefully Furio is going to go on to dominate his next opponent. But speaking of opponents, we've got match number five here at Heacham. This is a six person tag team match. The team of the FSW Tag Team Champions, Bobby Adams and George Rashwood of The Sound, and their tag team partner for the evening, the Slithering Snake Princess, Nyx. They'll be going up against the former Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the Norfolk Legion of Pain, Mitch Basher and Crowley, and their tag team partner, none other than the exuberant, over-the-top, flamboyant, mullet-sporting, sassy bear, Clarence. After the entrances, the referee conducts his final checks. The NLP and Sassy Bear, they just can't decide who wants to start the match. So they're going to go for the old classic rock, paper, scissors as they count down. One, two, three, the team of the sound and Nicks, they attack the NLP and Sassy from behind. Trying to hot start this match, the referee rings the bell. So the action has begun. But then the team of Sassy and NLP quickly take over on the sound. They bundle George Rashwood into one corner, Bobby Adams into the other corner. Mitch Basher calls for Sassy and shows him what they're up to. Crowley chops Rashwood, Basher chops Adams, and then Adams is chopped and double-fisted by Sassy Bear. Sassy then turns his attention to George Rashwood, who's in the other corner. Double chops for him as well. And the NLP and Sassy Bear are in full control early on. Nix is on the outside. She's not really helping out the sound as the NLP sends Sassy into each member of the sound, crushing them in the corner. Basher and Sassy then send Crowley into the corner, crushing Bobby Adams as well. The same happens for George Rashwood, who's receiving a jumping, leaping back elbow from the psycho from the swamps in the NLP's corner. Now it's time for Mitch Basher to be sent from corner to corner. He lands a jumping back elbow, followed by the Pele kick as George Rashwood crumbles in the corner. The same happens for Bobby Adams. He gets crushed by the kick by Mitch Basher and both members of the sound are in the corner. Crowley runs, jumps and tumbles into George Rashwood in the corner with a running cannonball, crushing the sounds George Rashwood as it looks like Sassy Bear is going to take care of Bobby Adams who's lying prone in the corner with a running, jumping Bronco as Mitch Basher, Crowley and Sassy Bear continue to dominate the tag team champions and Nix in the early stages. Nix is notable by her absence, having left earlier on to avoid the beatdown so far. Mitch Basher 
climbs up to the second rope. Nix distracts the referee, allowing the sound to throw Mitch Basher off the top rope and take control of the match. George Rashwood delivers a kick to the back of Mitch Basher, followed by his signature running back sent on, but Mitch Basher kicks out at two. Rashwood then smashes Mitch Basher's head in the corner, tags in Bobby Adams, who dropkick Crowley and then lands another dropkick on Mitch Basher, going for the cover, only getting the two count. Finally, Nix is brought into the fold, kicking and stomping on Mitch Basher's back and choking him on the middle ropes. The referee breaks the hold and this distracts him again, allowing the sound and Nix to continue to work over Mitch Basher. But Mitch Basher keeps kicking out at two and the sound and Nix make frequent tags to wear him down. Nix lands a running bulldog. Nice move. But Mitch Basher refuses to give up that easily. Nix then tries a running crossbody on Mitch Basher, but he catches her and nails her with a giant Samoan drop, evening the odds. The audience gasps for Sassy Bear to come in and Mitch Basher finally makes the tag. Sassy enters the ring like a house on fire, clotheslining Bobby, clotheslining George, and then Bobby again, then George again. Clarence then grabs both members of the sounds, hops up to the middle rope, hops backwards and lands a double back elbow on both members of the sound. He picks up George Rashwood and dumps him on his back with a sit-out gut wrench powerbomb. Clarence then turns his attention to Bobby Adams, picks him up for that running power slam, runs him into the corner. Meanwhile, Nix makes the blind tag to Bobby Adams. Sassy goes for the pin, but the referee won't count because Bobby Adams is not the legal man. Meanwhile, on the outside, George Rashwood grabs the tag team belt and nails Crowley across the head on the outside. Rashwood then rolls into the ring and smashes Clarence across the back, all while Nix has grabbed the attention of the referee. Unfortunately, the referee didn't see any of the belt shots. Nix twists Clarence's arm, puts her foot on his face and makes him eat defeat and your winners of this match are The Sound and Nix. Post-match, Mitch Basher grabs a microphone and tells The Sound that the tournament is just a facade. The NLP are the rightful number one contenders for the FSW Tag Team Championships and they will do what they need to do to get their hands on The Sound. The Sound will learn that you don't mess with the Norfolk Legion of Pain. Now, my thoughts. I'll start with the promo. Mitch Basher did what he usually does. He grabs the microphone, he starts ranting and shouting with anger and hate. I love that. However, I thought on a night where the tag team tournament finals had just taken place, we just crowned new number one contenders. I thought it seemed like a strange time for Mitch Basher to try and get some heat by claiming that the tournament was a facade and meant nothing. I feel it might have detracted from the focus on the disaster arts. That sounds a bit selfish and maybe it is. And perhaps people might have thought differently, but I don't know. When you have a tournament and then the tournament winners earn their shot at the tag team championships, according to the commissioner, according to the rules, I think before the NLP even get a chance at the belts, Surely the disaster artists need to get first pick. But moving on to the match, and I think there was a there's a kind of a common trait within tag team wrestling. And especially when there's a hot start, and I love a hot start, it's cool, gets the crowd into it instantly. You don't have to go through the rigmarole of one in, one out. But I think if you're gonna do a hot start, maybe don't have the referee ring the bell. Because and I'm getting to the rule books here. Like technically, once the bell has rung you kind of had to adhere to the rules of a professional wrestling match, right? And I mean, in a tag team match, it's it's one in, one out, or in this case, it's one in, two out. If it's a six-person tag team match, the NLP and Sassy, they managed to get one up over the sound. That's cool, running from corner to corner, doing the corner attacks, crushing each member of the sound in the corner. That was brilliant. But technically, 
one member of the sound had to be in the ring and one member of the NLP or Sassy had to be in the ring. And at this point, it was a three-on-two attack and the referee could have easily have started by counting each member out of the ring because technically they were in there illegally. And I'm being picky, I'm being pedantic. I mean, if they'd have started the match hot and then the referee's trying to get some sort of order, saying one in, one out, and trying to ring the bell, and then they hit the last move on George Rashwood, whatever it is, cannonball, boom. The bell then rings, Mitch Basher goes up to the top rope, Sassy Bear and Crowley, they leave. We've got a proper legal contest. And then you've got the normal rules in the match. You go into the heat, Basher gets sent off the top rope. But all that stuff at the beginning which it went on for a good couple of minutes and the crowd were really enjoying it. It just wasn't proper tag team rules. And again, I'm being pedantic. And then as we go into the finish of the match, I was watching from the balcony, which gave me a pretty good view of the action. And I don't think this was quite visible on the tape. Sassy Bear picks up Bobby Adams, crushes him in the corner, goes for that running power slam, decks him in the middle of the ring. I love that move. I think it's great. I think it really fits Sassy Bear's character. However, Nix manages to get the blind tag on Bobby Adams during this time. Fine. The referee sees this because it's kind of obvious. Sassy Bear goes for the pin on Bobby Adams, but doesn't because Bobby's not the legal man, which makes sense. Nix then tries to grab the attention of the referee, but in that time, the referee's too busy saying, I didn't see the tag. I didn't see the tag. I'm not sure what's going on here. Now, if he didn't see the tag and then Nix comes in and gets the win... Surely Nix is not the legal person. However, while the referee's distracted, George Rashwood comes in and hits Sassy Bear with a belt. That's cool. That's a dastardly heel move. That makes sense. The referee's attention has been taken away by Nix, who's on the outside talking with the referee, trying to get into the match. She's not the legal person, so the referee should have stopped her from entering, which he did, but instead he then lets her in. She hits Eat Defeat and pins Sassy Bear. At that point... The referee should have realized that he didn't see the tag earlier on and therefore should not have counted the pinfall. I don't know. That kind of spoils the finish for me a little bit. And I was watching it and found myself thinking, I really don't understand this finish. Now, I know there's a cool finish in there somewhere, but perhaps it wasn't maybe executed properly. I did I did like how Sassy picks Bobby, puts him in the corner, Nick's makes the blind tag. I thought that was great. And it could have been even better if the referee had seen it and Sassy crashed Bobby into the corner, went for the pinfall, the referee would be like, no, a tag was made. I'm sorry, Bobby Adams is not the legal person. Then Nix comes in and Sassy grabs Nix and asks like, what the hell are you doing? Meanwhile, the referee gets distracted by what's happening on the outside of the ring. George Rashwood comes in, clocks Sassy with a belt. Nix then comes in legally, hits the eat defeat and everybody goes home dissatisfied, but the heels go home happy having been within the rules, I just think, and I know you can you can explain anything away in pro wrestling, but I just think it kind of undermines the referee's authority just a little bit. It makes you wonder what the rules of a tag team match really are because it got a bit messy and confusing. But I thought everyone performed really, really well. I love Mitch Basher and he can sell, especially his comeback towards the end. I loved it when he caught Nicks and he transitioned to that Samoan drop. I thought that was really effective. Great way to get to the hot tag. I thought Crowley looked good too. Really liked his cannonball. It looked splendid. He didn't really do much other than that. He had a little shine at the beginning, but spent the most time on the outside being knocked off the apron or being bashed with the belt on the outside. And again, Sassy, 
Sassy does what Sassy does, and he does it best. He's got some nice shine moves, especially off the hot tag, couple of clotheslines to the sound. And then he does that hop-up spring ball back elbow. I thought maybe that looked a little bit weak tonight. I know he's trying to get both guys, but I think when you do a move like that, you really got to commit to it. It kind of looked like he sprang off the second rope, jumped into the air, went about... I don't know, half a foot and then landed and then just sort of fell backwards. <laughs> I know it's a really difficult move to do. You, you can't exactly springboard off the second rope and just launch yourself into a back bump. That's going to hurt. It's going to mess your back up. It's going to mess your neck up. So you sort of have to land on your feet and then roll backwards. But I just don't think the execution was 100% on this one. Other than that, nice bit of fire from the sassy bear. I was just a little bit confused by the finish. I don't think the finish worked as well as it was planned out to be. So I think tighten up that start, tighten up that end. I think we could have had a perfectly good six-person tag team match, and that's just my opinion. Now, it's time for the main event of the evening. It's a match that's been two years in the making. We have our Falling Star Wrestling Championship match. Two years ago at Heacham, Jack Landers and Callie Gray tore the building down with their match of the year winning performance. And they're here to try again. Last time, it was for the Limitless Championship. This time, it's for the biggest prize in Falling Star Wrestling, the Falling Star Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. As both men make their way down to the ring, they receive massive ovations from the audience. Both men are fan favourites in this match. And the audience doesn't know who to choose. Half of them love Callie Gray, the other half love Jack Landers, and some of the audience love both of them. Even before the match has started, the pair lock eyes in the middle of the ring and the audience just chants, this is awesome. I think the fans are getting ahead of themselves, but they're excited and they're ready for this championship bout here at Heacham. The referee rings the bell and Jack and Callie circle the ring, sizing each other up, trying to gain an advantage. They lock up in the middle and Jack tries to bundle Callie into the corner, but Callie switches it and the two tussle in the corner as the referee tries to separate them. The first encounter ends in a stalemate and they lock up again with the same thing happening once again. The audience chants FS dub. FS dub for both of these guys. Then they go into a knuckle lock. Callie transitions into a waist lock. Jack switches it, smoothly transitioning into an abdominal stretch, stretching out the champion in the early stages. Jack's known for that fifth and sixth gear, but he's not going to go full throttle just yet. He's taking Callie and trying to get the early win with a submission, just grinding and wearing down the champion. But Callie slips out of the abdominal. Sends Jack Landers off to the ropes and puts him in an abdominal stretch of his own. Now Jack is in a predicament here at the main event. Jack reverses the hold, hits a few body shots, sends Callie into the corner, but Callie comes back with a few stiff strikes of his own. And then basically they get into a fist fight here in the early stages. Callie takes a headlock. Jack sends him off. Callie leaps and charges towards Landers, nailing him with a running back elbow. Jack is sent crashing into the mat and he has to go to the corner to get some respite. But Callie comes in with a leaping kick to the head. Callie sweeps the leg, goes for the foot stomp, misses. Jack rolls through and goes for a clothesline. Callie catches him in a waist lock, but Landers breaks the hold and then comes back with a gigantic left forearm. Callie Gray is sent to the corner. He leaps over Jack Landers and then comes back with a running front drop kick. It's all Callie Gray in the early stages of this match with Jack being on the receiving end of some punishment. The pair exchange strikes, including chop Chops, forearms and punches. Jack tries to come back with a chop of his own, but Callie Gray catches him, hits a snapmare and then kicks him right down the spine. 
Callie Gray performs an Irish whip on Jack, who springs off the ropes and is nailed with a clothesline. Callie goes for the cover, but Jack kicks out at two. Callie Gray then wraps Jack up in a standing octopus stretch with the knee over the neck. Landers looks to be in trouble, but he manages to power out and lands a couple of elbows to the midsection. Callie Gray strikes Jack Landers right in the face, causing him to retreat. Callie sends Jack towards the corner, but Jack switches the Irish whip. Jack leaps and catches Callie with a drop kick in the middle of the ring. Landers then hops up to the second rope in the opposite corner, backflips, lands on his feet. Callie Gray rushes at Jack. Jack catches him with a running power slam, but can only get the two count. Callie Gray is then sent chest first into the turnbuckle, causing him to crash out and lay on the canvas. Jack is now starting to put a beating on Callie Gray, and it's time to take home the Falling Star Wrestling Championship. He kicks Callie Gray in the head and then tries to grind down the champion, locking in a chin lock with the body scissors to expel energy and air from Callie's lungs. Eventually, Callie makes his way up to his feet, lands a few body shots on Landers, followed by a chop. Jack Landers gets sent into the corner but comes bundling out and Callie Graves goes for the drop kick. Jack knows what's coming this time and moves out of the way and then lands a standing shooting star press on Callie Gray. Jack goes for the pin but can only get the two count so he goes back to the ground offense. This time he racks Callie Gray up in a seated abdominal stretch. The boys are really trying to stretch each other and take each other to the limit. The referee asks the champion whether he wants to submit and Callie Gray he says no. Callie manages to wriggle out the hold and lands a few body shots, but Jack counters with a running knee lift. He then lifts Callie Gray onto his shoulders, but Callie slips down the back with a crucifix pin and gets the two count. Callie swings at Jack, but Jack lifts him up, looks for a back suplex. Callie slips through and rolls him up, sweeps Jack's legs, and then finally nails that standing stomp onto Jack's ribs and chest. Callie Gray continues with a series of offense, taking Jack Landers down to the mat with a couple of running forearms, followed by a German suplex. Jack crashes onto the back of his head and receives a kick to the head as well. Callie Gray then tries to hook in the suplex, but Jack reverses it into a small package, gets the two count. Jack sees an opportunity and kicks Callie Gray right in the head, sending him tumbling outside of the ring. Jack hits the ropes, but Callie Gray slips in and nails Jack Landers with a pump knee, followed by a vertical suplex slash DDT move. However, Jack manages to kick out of two just in the nick of time, as there was a lot of momentum in that maneuver. Callie Gray then calls for the end, tries to execute the cemetery driver, but Jack Landers still has plenty of energy, blocks the maneuver. Callie Gray tries to clasp both hands, but Jack Landers won't let it happen, so Callie resorts to a few shots, tries to hook in the maneuver again, Jack Landers sends Callie Gray over the top of him and then Jack lands on his feet and nails Callie Gray with a drop kick. Callie Gray tries to create some separation between the two, heads to the outside while Jack's in the middle of the ring. Jack leaps from the inside out, lands on the apron and kicks Callie Gray directly in the head. Jack then ascends to the second turnbuckle, preparing to do something insane, something crazy. He goes up to the second turnbuckle, inside out, lands on his feet with a moonsault. Absolutely insane, but Callie Gray follows it up with a running suicide dive and just smashes Jack on the outside. Callie Gray with the momentum rolls Jack back into the ring, sends him to the top rope, delivers double knees to the face, the meaty aura. Now he's looking for the cemetery driver again. He hooks it and just lands Jack with a maneuver. The ref goes down for the count. One two, but Jack Landers kicks out in the nick of time. The audience explode with excitement. They have never seen anyone kick out of the cemetery driver before. Jack Landers looks battered and bruised. 
not moving very much, but he managed to kick out of that maneuver and the match continues. The crowd exclaim, this is awesome. Caligray has already hit the cemetery driver once. Now he's going to go for it again, trying to pick up the lifeless, limp body of Jack Landers. He even pleads for Jack to stay down, but Jack just won't quit. He slaps Caligray across the face saying, is that all you got? Cali replies with a stiff kick to the head, trying to hook in the cemetery driver again, but Jack picks up Cali on his shoulders, rolls through and then lands on the corner. Jack's looking to get his second win there. Jack Landers climbs to the, the top rope, looks for a moonsault. He jumps, he twists, but Cali Gray rolls out of the way. Jack lands on his feet and then he's met with an enziguri. Cali goes for the cemetery driver once more, really trying desperately to land that maneuver, but Jack pulls the arm, wrenches it, manages to send Cali Gray crashing out of the ring. Jack then sees his opportunity to fly. He runs, he jumps, he dives, flipping Senton from inside out, landing on top of Cali Gray. He sends him into the middle of the ring and then Jack looks like he's trying to finish things off for himself. He goes for the handspring, but he's met in the middle of the ring with a German suplex. Jack pops up as Cali Gray hits the ropes and executes a standing Spanish fly. Then the springboard stunner, Cali Gray is rocked. And then Jack hooks in the pump handle driver. Cali goes onto Jack's shoulders and and he's nailed with the slam, but Cali Gray kicks out at two. Cali Gray has hit his best move, and Jack has hit his best move. Jack's thinking, what does he need to do? Does he need to do something crazy, something high risk? So he does. He ascends to the top turnbuckle once more, looking for that Phoenix splash, the Moonsault 450. He spots it. He executes it. And then he just about lands it. He rolls on top of Cali Gray, who still kicks out at the last possible second. The audience thought it was three. The referee says two. This match continues, both men putting it all on the line for the Falling Star Wrestling Championship, echoing the moments of earlier now. Jack Landers is pleading with Cali Gray to stay down, but Cali will not give up. So Jack kicks him in the face. He looks to hook in the pump handle driver again, but Cali slips down the back, rolls through with an Oklahoma roll, goes for the pinfall, but still gets two. Cali Gray hops up to the second rope, gains some momentum, and then the two clash in the middle of the ring, banging their heads and tumbling to the ground. The audience show their appreciation with the round of applause and chants of this is awesome. Eventually, the pair manage to get to their feet as Callie charges at Jack. He nails him with a running knee. Jack pops up with a flurry of forearms, but Callie replies with one of his own. Jack then kicks Callie in the head, goes for the roaring clothesline, but Callie blocks it and hits him with a German suplex. However, Jack just pops up to his feet and crushes Callie Gray with the clothesline. Callie's not down for long, though. He pops up and Jack locks in the pump handle driver again. Callie slips down the back, pushes Jack into the corner. Corner, crushes him with a knee, then goes to the other corner. Jack follows with a running drop kick in the corner. Neither of these two guys are going to relent. They've hit that sixth gear and they are turning things up. Jack charges at Callie in the corner, but Callie puts the boot up. Jack rolls backwards and then Callie rushes at Jack and hits a Canadian destroyer, landing him on his head. Follows it up with a cemetery driver, goes for the pin. One, two, Frito Jack kicks out yet again. The audience cannot believe what they are seeing. Callie goes to the well one more time, hitting that cemetery driver. One, two, three, and your winner of the match. And still the Falling Star Wrestling Champion is Callie Gray. Jack looked like he was trying to get his arm up right at the end there, causing the referee a little bit of confusion. But we can confirm the shoulder did not get off the canvas. Therefore, Callie Gray remains FSW champion post-match. 
Callie Gray grabs a microphone and says, Let's do this again, buddy. The pair embrace in the middle of the ring and Callie Gray lifts up Jack Lander's arm. There's no beef between these two now. They just wanted to take the big prize home. Jack then finishes off by thanking the audience and says, you guys are the reason that we do this. This is the reason we're in the business, echoing Danny Boy's statements from earlier on in the night and stating that Falling Star Wrestling is for the fans and the fans make FSW. Thank you for coming out and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much, Jack Landers. And that's the end of the show. But everything I say in this review of the match and its critique does not go against the amazing effort that these boys put in and everyone put in in the show. This is just a critique. These guys wrestled at a high energy, high tempo and a high level for around 25 minutes. And that is very, very hard to do. So major props to both of them. They put it out there and left it and put it all on the line. That was a super high caliber match. And this match could easily sit on any company's roster anytime. It could be on, I don't know, AEW Dynamite, WWE Raw, NXT, or any of the top indie promotions within the UK or US. Having said that, and acknowledging it is an incredible match, I think for this audience, which was probably composed of 10% super duper hardcore indie wrestling fans and maybe 90% casual fans, there were moments where Jack and Callie possibly forgot about the other 90% of the audience. There were kids, families, husbands, wives, sisters, brothers, uncles, aunts, granddads and grannies. We had the whole gambit there, the whole family. And at times, Jack and Callie seemed to be only thinking about the match and the moves and, and sort of how they were going to impress people and how it's going to look on tape. That's how it seemed to me. And it probably wasn't the case, but and I'm sure it's going to look amazing on tape. But in that moment... It felt like a, a little bit like people were just sort of waiting for something to happen. I don't know whether the people were fully engaged in the story. And that's what I think maybe let this match down just a little bit. Yes, I agree. There was an inbuilt story. Yes, Jack has clawed his way to become number one contender. Yes, they had match of the year two years ago in Heacham. However, I, I didn't feel it in this story in this match. And maybe it's kind of a guttural thing. I just, I just don't know whether they conveyed that story that was was built there for them. It was told leading up to this match. I just don't know whether they conveyed it with the moves and the way they worked this match. I feel they were trying to have a good match, a fair babyface versus babyface match, and they tried their absolute hardest to do that. But I think it might have been nicer to maybe sort of tell a bit more story. And yes, I know I just explained the story there. The story is built in. But that's because we've been talking about it on the podcast for however long. We've got hype packages, promo videos. We've got promos in the ring hyping up the match. Even before the match, the MC Danny Fear, he built this match up saying two years in the making, etc., etc. I just didn't feel like they were having that match, that particular match. It seemed like all the hype and build up was for that reason. And then they went into the ring and had a really great hard fought, high tempo good indie match. I just didn't feel the emotion. And I think that's the problem because it's a babyface versus babyface match. The crowd was split. They didn't know who to cheer for. And that's not a bad thing. They were just happy to see either man go back and forth. And there was a lot of it. There was a lot of back and forth in this match. And again, that's maybe a minor detriment to this match as well. I might have liked to have seen a little bit more Jack Landers. I personally never felt that Jack looked like he was going to win this match. It looked like everything that Jack was doing 
that Callie just had an answer for it. And he, Callie felt very in control throughout the entire match. And that's maybe where the match becomes sort of slightly convoluted. Jack was attempting all of these great moves. Callie had an answer for them. And yes, that's incredible. If this was a series, if this match happened maybe a month ago and all the same people were there from the last show or whatever and recognised all of these things that have already happened, then it, it would have been incredible. But because we're talking about a match that happened in 2021 between these two guys and they were calling back certain spots from that match, that's where I think maybe it became slightly overcomplicated. And I would have loved, and I think the audience would have really, really popped hard if Jack would have nailed that moonsault from the second rope to the outside. That looked spectacular in the first match. And I know they probably didn't want to go back to the well and do the same thing they did in the match two years ago. And I watched that match two years ago. I watched it several times, in fact, and talked about it on the podcast. But I can't for the life tell you what happened in that match. And I'm sure that each and every one of these guys, especially if they went back and watched that match from two years ago, they wouldn't remember what happened in the match. So they easily could have done spots like that. And I would have loved to have seen Jack hit that and then be on the floor for a good, I don't know, eight or nine seconds, maybe even do a kind of teaser count out spot. But then Jack's, he's kind of like sort of thinking, I've just nailed Callie with this massive move. We're both on the outside. We're about to get counted out. I can jump into the ring, save the match and win, but I'm not going to win the belt like that. You could really build up the emotion there. So he basically have to clamber and bundle Callie Gray into the ring, who's kind of limp and stuff like that. He manages to get Callie Gray into the middle of the ring. Callie's looking in a prone position. And I think that could have really elevated the story there. And then maybe Jack looks to hit that impressive spring springboard stunner. Boom. Jack grabs Callie Gray one more time. Pump handle driver. Nails it. You're thinking, right. He's just hit three massive moves. How on earth is Callie Gray going to kick out of that? One, two, boom. Callie Gray's shoulder shoots off the mat. I think the audience would have would have exploded. And then you have the emotion of Jack not knowing how to put him away. And if you want to throw back to what they did two years ago, Jack goes up to the top rope, tries to hit the Phoenix Splash. That was the move that pinned Callie the last time at Linsport when they had their rematch. This is going to be it. Boom. Jack didn't quite nail the Phoenix Splash as well as he used to. Don't know whether Cali Gray was slightly out of position or too far back. I'm not sure. But Jack had to really leap for that one. But he leapt with all of his might. He jumped, he twisted, he turned. And it almost looked like some sort of like Phoenix Splash headbutt. He just caught the end of it. And I think if he'd have nailed that move and landed it really flush, boom, got up, sold it, crawled over, hooked the leg on Cali. I think people would have been chanting along, one, two, no, Cali Gray kicks out. I think that would have added even more anticipation, even more excitement into the match because it just seemed like all of Jack's other moves just get getting counted. It sort of felt like Jack was second fiddle in this match, which, which he was because he wasn't the champion. But I think for a match to be ridiculously exciting, you really need to believe that this champion's going to lose. Much like Cali's other matches, I don't think he's really ever looked that in peril. The only other time he's looked in peril is when he's wrestled heels and wrestled from underneath. This kind of back and forth match is good. It's really good to watch. But I don't know whether it's good for a main event because people don't know who to cheer for. So they kind of end up not cheering. And that lack of audience interaction... I think affected this match's kind of investment. The audience, yeah, they were popping for every move they saw. I don't know if they were invested in the match. I could be wrong. I'm not an audience member. I'm just a, a worker watching this match, looking for something to talk about. I watched the match live. It did have a great atmosphere, 
However, I just never really felt as captivated with this match as I did with their match two years ago, which is a hard thing to do since they nailed it two years ago. And I, I fear that maybe we and the audience and everybody has kind of set the bar too high for these guys. And as wrestlers, we, we do tend to overcomplicate things and try to put on the best show we can. However, we need to think about the regular fans, the mums, the dads, the grandmas, the grandpas, the aunts, the uncles, the kids who are 10 years old. And while the hardcore fans were loving it all the way through, the majority of the audience may not have been as engaged as they probably could have been. If the parents aren't getting into it, the kids probably won't either and vice versa. Therefore, you need to capture everyone in the room. And they definitely captured that 10% of hardcore fans who were cheering, chanting all the way through. However, I think if you just grab that emotion button and turn it up to 10, you could really appeal to the other 90% of the fans and perhaps pared back ever so slightly on the match, building to anticipation, letting the tempo down sometimes instead of going full speed ahead at all times. And while the match was long, the one positive thing is it didn't really feel super long. I think because there was a lot going on and the tempo was kept up. However, I think they could have let it go down sometimes and, and help build back up anticipation. For example, when Callie Gray hit that first cemetery driver, people went nuts when Jack kicked out. But then it felt like it sort of went into a different match, like a second match, because for me, it didn't feel like there was much selling after that. And that is another thing that I think maybe this match was missing as well. Like the cemetery driver is a move that is that should have probably the greatest impact on the match. And I felt like having to hit it three times with, with Jack kicking out at one and then immediately going for a moonsault after that maybe didn't do as much for that move as it possibly could. And I know you're trying to do this kind of WrestleMania match where everyone kicks out of everyone's finishes and that's fine and that's cool. But maybe think about emotion first before thinking about cool moves. And I know, listen to me, who am I? I'm just PVC. I, I had a match earlier on and I, I can't do even a quarter of what these guys are doing, but I can watch a match and I can give my opinion. So my opinion, in summary, is the match was brilliant, but there were some small things that could have been improved on, such as focusing on emotion and story and letting the tempo sort of die down sometimes and build and build and build anticipation. And I think with these small things and a bit of selling and a bit more character stuff and a bit more crowd work, all of these small things could have added up to a definite match of the year. But you were just like a hair's width off from absolutely nailing it. And I'm going to say it, if you guys have another match, and I reckon you'll learn from that, you will have another match of the year match. But we've got so many other stories going on right about now. I think it's time we put to put to bed Callie and Jack for the moment and revisit it later on down the line because I know in my heart and I know deep down these guys are so friggin talented that they can nail it and I think maybe give it a year's time when these guys have had a few more matches they've been working the circuit a bit more starting to pair back on their moves not doing some much crazy stuff and then just taking the emotion button and just pounding it and pounding it and going I want emotion, anticipation and thrills and spills. And then they come, they have a match and it just knocks the socks off of everyone. I believe in my heart they can do that. And I believe they wanted to do that in the main event at Heacham. But I think they fell 
ever so slightly short. Ever so slightly short. I told you in the intro that I was going to give my frank and honest thoughts. Was I too brutal? Am I going to expect a few stiff shots and a few receipts from the boys next time? Maybe. Is it deserved? Probably. Anyways, that's the show. Thank you for sticking around and thanks for supporting the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. If you've yet to, please go ahead and subscribe and follow the show on your preferred podcast player. We're on all the big boys, Apple, Google, and of course, Spotify. We'd also appreciate a five-star review as well. It would mean the world to us. Join us live on Saturday 27th of May at the Western Village Hall in Weston over in Lincolnshire. Falling Star Wrestling is taking its first steps into Weston and we hope you'll be there with open arms to greet us as we bring you live wrestling action. It's sure to be a doozy and we can't wait to get more fans and grow bigger throughout the UK. If you want more information or links to buy tickets for you and the family, visit Falling Star Wrestling on social media. It's at Falling Star Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to only click verified ticket links and don't buy secondhand tickets from the comments section. If you're not sure, please direct message us first. Jimmy and I will be back next time to review the most recent live show from the Wesleyan Sports and Social Club, so stay tuned for that. And we'll catch you next time for another edition of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. Bye bye. Bye.